The 2-1 home to Sierra. Line drive into left field. That's going to drop for a base hit. Nick Dunn rounds third. He's going to come in to score. Nick Sierra joined the RBI party. 8-0 Maryland. Swung on and cracked to deep right field. Chasing it back is Taylor at the wall. It's out of here. Madison Nickens with the third home run of the inning for the Terps. Ingle kicks and deals and Dunn lines a base hit down the left field line. Nickens comes around third. He will score. Dunn into second with an RBI double and we're tied at three. 3-1. Swung on and cracked to deep center field. Going back is Powell. He's at the wall. Leaping is out of here. A grand slam for Nick Sieri and the Terps take an 8-7 lead. Bonine kicks and delivers. That one's hit to deep left field. Going back is Vargas. It's a no-doubter. Over the scoreboard and out of here. Marty Costas goes yard. His second home run of the game. And the Terps lead it 7-2. First pitch to Tyler and he swings away and hits it to right field straight away. Nickens is there. He makes the catch. Tagging is Dogan. He's going to try to score the throw to the plate. The tag. And he is out at the plate. Madison Nickens guns him down. And the Terps get out of the inning. Good evening and welcome to the 19th episode of the Maryland Baseball Podcast alongside Jake Eisenberg. I'm Matt Present. The Terps losing the series this weekend to Illinois, uh, two games to one, and now they're back on the bubble, Jake, of the Big Ten Tournament where they seem to be off and on every other weekend now as we creep closer and closer to the end of the year. Well, I've said it a few times now, the Terps this season are your quintessential bubble team. They've been on the fringe since perhaps a few weeks ago when they started you know, to turn the things around against Ohio State, the sweep of the Buckeyes, we thought this 500 team was finally going to realize its potential going forward. But then an off series against Minnesota and a winnable one at that. And then Penn State dropping one there, Purdue dropping one there, and then, of course, Illinois dropping two out of three at home certainly doesn't look good for the postseason hopes. It certainly doesn't. I think going into the series this weekend, in my mind, they were in a situation where the only loss that they could really have and still get into the tournament, was one on the road at Michigan State. I think at this point they have to win out or win the Big Ten tournament. And I, winning out still might not be good enough. I will say this, and I, I happen to agree with you, that the only way they're really going to clinch a spot in the NCAA tournament is if they win the Big Ten conference tournament. Of course, that gives them the automatic bid. But I think there is still a chance for an at-large bid if they don't win the tournament. I think if they show up well in the tournament, go to the finals, go to the semifinals. And I also think... Uh, a strong final weekend at Michigan State, a team that's been in the top 25 and is at the top of the conference. A strong showing there could help them out in some of the national minds as well. You know, Michigan State is an RPI that's just a couple spots below the Terps, which, you know, won't help them in that department. But I think in terms of a national conversation, people might say, oh, they knocked off Michigan State and that might open their eyes a little bit. And I think the other thing is, while it's certainly been an up and down season, inconsistency has been the word used by this coaching staff over and over and over. They do have some good wins. You know, they knocked off Tennessee. They knocked off Alabama. They knocked off Fullerton. And so while they might not have the record that they had last year at this time, they do have some marquee victories on their schedule. Well, I mean, it's not just it's not just Alabama, Fullerton, Tennessee. You know, only one win against Alabama, but that on the road. And that's that's a solid win. They could have won a couple more there. You know, judging by you know what happened with the bullpen, but that the first series of the year acceptable. Rhode Island has been a good team this year in the A10, and of course that there's there's Bryant 
who they took two out of three from, which has been phenomenal this season. You know, Bryant, to me, if they were, if Bryant played in the Big Ten, they would be one of the top five teams in the conference. And I think that when people see these non-conference series, the Terps played one of the strongest schedules in perhaps all of baseball, save for, you know, the ACC teams that are all playing against each other and the SEC teams playing against each other. The Terps have a really strong schedule, and especially in the non-conference, that's helped them a lot. Of course, on the other side of that, there are a lot of bad losses. Losses to Delaware, you know, two of them. Losses to UC Irvine. A loss to Liberty. You know, it was, it was good for the Terps to beat VCU in both of those midweek games. Yeah, I was going to mention VCU, Jake, because you brought up the A-10, and VCU currently 15-6 and six in the A-10. They're 33-16 and 16 on the season. That's another very good team that, okay, you say it's a midweek opponent, opponent, might not put the same stock in them. Good victories against VCU. Well, we said it during the broadcast of VCU that, yes, they're a midweek team, but not in the traditional sense. VCU is a team that went to a Super Regional last year. So, you know, of course they were going to return and, and be pretty strong. So I think those two wins helping the Terps as well. All right, so let's talk about this weekend. Obviously, they lost two of three. Mike Schwarn, you know, we bring him up again and again just because he is the pitcher he is. He has the hype that he has. He pitched well overall, ran into just one series of trouble, and the bats couldn't make up for it. Well, as as Coach Chef said after the game, they scored three runs in a span of about five minutes. Four straight hits, two doubles, two singles. That led to three runs. And, you know, the, the, the tale of this series was really not the pitching so much as the Terps' bats being unable to support what was, you know, overall good starting pitching from the Terps and, and from the Illini as well. you got to give credit to Cody Sedlock, who retired pretty much everybody he faced after the second inning except for Kevin Smith, who technically reached on an error before he was tagged out in fair territory. But a complete game for Sedlock, whose draft stock continues to rise, and he's perhaps one of the best pitchers in the conference. He certainly is. Came in 10th in the nation in strikeouts, added seven more against the Terps, and, you know, he just threw strikes and didn't allow base runners. I mean, the Terps this season, I think oftentimes we've criticized them for leaving runners on base. There were no runners on base. I mean, Cody Sedlock was just dominant. And, you know, I think I think Schwarn pitched very well, you know, in addition to Sedlock. It was just that little bit of trouble that he ran into in that one frame. There was an unearned run that scored in the first inning that, you know, things didn't start as well as he would have hoped. But if you look at Schwarn's line, he gave up five hits, and the Illini were able to score four runs on them. So, you know, talk about the Illinois offense, you know, putting things together. But if you look at things overall, five strikeouts, zero walks, seven innings pitched. Yes, that pitch count very, very high at 131. In fact, that's the most pitches thrown by any Maryland starter this season, certainly the most in Schwarren's career. But I think overall, you know, this was another good start from the guy who they need to be their ace down the stretch. All right, so you mentioned the complete game by Sedlock. Then it was Taylor Bloom answering on Saturday with a complete game of his own. Or I guess both games on on Saturday, another doubleheader for the Terps this week. Well, it was it was basically the same ball game in Game 2. A low-scoring affair with good starting pitching. I think the Terps initially, when it came to the redshirt sophomore left-hander Doug Hayes, were a little bit thrown off after facing the hard-throwing Cody Sedlock. Hayes, his fastball sits in the low 80s. So a little bit difficult to adjust there, and that may have contributed to them not capitalizing on you know four walks over the first two innings. But really, Taylor Bloom, unbelievable. He has just been tremendous this season his fifth complete game of the season his sixth win went all nine innings obviously allowed just one run six strikeouts and one walk and didn't in 101 pitches he's really been tremendous this season 
Yeah, he's a 1.16 ERA in conference play. And it's only 199 overall, under two for him. I mean, just a tremendous year for him, for, for sure. I mean, there's there's no question about it. We were talking on the broadcast about whether he should be in the conversation for the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. I think you have to include him in the conversation, no doubt about it. Um, Sunday, Brian Schaefer didn't have his best up. I don't think he pitched terribly. I mean, he's, he had several three-up, three-down innings. After the game, he seemed a little down. I don't know if that was... I mean, he felt like he didn't have his best stuff, but I don't know if that was more because the team lost than he pitched so badly. He was charged with four runs, but he did load the bases in his final inning. I didn't really think he pitched that badly overall. Ryan Schaefer, he said it himself that he didn't have the command that he had in previous starts in that outing, but coming off a, a pretty bad outing against Purdue and then bouncing back against Penn State, I thought the outing for him on Sunday overall was you know what you need out of your Sunday starter. The starts that the Terps have been getting out of Brian Schaefer have been exceptional. And I think Sunday was just Brian Schaefer you know, really going to work. He allowed four runs on six hits. Again, the Illini offense was opportunistic. It's not like they were hitting the ball all over the place. He struck out three, walked one, kept the pitch down count for most of the game, and then you know things just got away from him a little bit. Walked a few batters, hit a guy, loaded the bases, and you can't always expect your bullpen to bail you out in that situation. He gave his team a chance to win. I think that's the bottom line. And, you know, we're going to look forward to the midweek and, and Hunter Parsons getting another start, and he's been really good. And I, the question I want to pose to you, Jake, and we were I was kind of teasing you about it before we came on, okay? Assuming the Terps make the Big Ten tournament, you have four guys that are, I think, without a doubt, the four guys you're, you're going to pencil in as your pitchers for the tournament in Schwarren, Schaefer, Bloom, and Parsons. What order are you going with those guys? Well, I think the first thing you have to consider is that it's a double elimination tournament. It is, so, for the most part. The final is single elimination. Right. But up so until once you the get final to the game, final, right. it's single elimination. But up until that point, it's double elimination. So you have to assume, you know, the Terps basically need four games to get to the championship or five should they go the loser's bracket route. And you have four guys who are going to pitch, you know, when you're playing between the 25th and the 29th. If you get to that final game... You know, and it's your fifth game. You might not have, you know, another. You might not be able to start the same guy you started in game one. There might not be enough time for rest. You know, at least at the college level. So, I think that you have to assume that as soon as these guys are throwing, you're not going to use them for the rest of the tournament. In which case, I think at least for the Terps, who are focusing on getting as far in this tournament as possible, they have to worry about each game one at a time. They can't look forward at all, and really neither team can. So, I think you just got to stick with. What they've been doing. I don't think you really change anything. Mike Schwarren will throw the first game of the tournament should they get there. And then, you know, presumably after that, it'll be Taylor Bloom, Brian Schaefer, and then Hunter Parsons. And if, you know, they go the loser's bracket route and they have a fifth game in that conference championship, maybe Schwarren can pitch again depending on how he feels and how much rest. I would caution against that just because it wouldn't be, it'd be against his normal routine. Or you can, you know, go the route of having Taylor Styles start the game, maybe piece together with Rob Galligan, who has had some magic coming in those in those big situations, did it against UVA, did it against UCLA last year in the postseason. So perhaps you piece that final game together. But, you know, at that point, both teams are pretty much in the same spot. So it's evened out. I don't disagree with, with your order or your reasoning. I just question where Maryland will be at the time in terms of will each game matter? Because depending on what happens between now 
and the tournament, they might be in a situation where it will only matter if they win it all. I mean, we hope well, it, is, hopefully it doesn't. Is how do you change your strategy if if that is the case? Right, and I'm not saying you do. I mean, I think I the just, only thing the, the only thing you can make an argument on is does Taylor Bloom start the first game as opposed to Mike Schwarn, and I think that is determinant on where Maryland ends up as a seed. If they're the eighth seed and they're going to end up playing, you know, the second or first seed, depending on how the bracket shakes out, then you know maybe you have a question to ask and you say, okay, Schwarn is our ace. He has the best stuff on our team, but Taylor Bloom is far and away pitched the best on our team this season. And then you have a conversation. And I, I want to bring this back to the Big Ten, you know, pitcher of the year conversation surrounding Bloom. Just taking a look at some numbers, Bloom is tied for third in or fourth rather in the conference in wins. He's second in the conference in ERA, only to Cam View, who's been out for you know about a week or so now. He's leading the league in innings pitched. And in the conversation, I think he's maybe even driving the conversation. The only one who I think maybe can make a, a stronger case is either Cody Sedlock or Kyle Hart of Indiana, who has 10 wins to himself. But when it comes to Brian Schaefer, he's just been unbelievable. You know, if you look at the walk numbers as well, He's he's just dominant. But it's you're still going with Shawn on Friday, or or the first game, I should say. Still going with Shawn in that game one. Okay. I think, I think I would tend to agree with you. I think there also has to be something said for Shawn not getting great run support this year. Granted, the offense is still batting against the other team's Friday guy. I mean that has to be taken into consideration, but. I don't know. I, I don't think it's as clear-cut. It's a good problem to have, that's for sure. It, it, it'll certainly be interesting. And I think the other caveat here is, if in the back of your mind you believe that Schwarn can go on short rest, I think you'd be more inclined to start him on short rest than the other guys. Absolutely. I think, well, Schwarn certainly has more experience and more endurance and I think a, a stronger arm overall than the other two guys. So if you're going to start somebody on short rest, it will be him. Well, I mean, you say that, but at the same time, Bloom and Schaefer have combined for seven complete games this year. That, Schwarn has that's won. That's true, but they've also done that, you know, on a weekly basis. They have, and I think... Schwarn he, has never, Schwarn's only pitched one complete game in his career, but he's also logged by far more innings to this point than the two of them. Plus, he threw 131 pitches on Friday. Correct. That is the other thing, is that while he might not be throwing as many complete games, he is more used to an elevated pitch count. Brian Schaefer, Taylor Bloom, what has allowed them to get those complete games is the fact that they've been so efficient and kept their pitch count down. They've usually been right around 100, 110 in those complete games. Exactly, and that's because the type of pitcher they are. Mike Schwarren's more of a strikeout pitcher. He's going to try and you know beat you when you're at the plate. Both Schaefer and Bloom, they're more pitch to contact, get their ground ball outs, and get out of the inning. And there's something to be said about each approach, but I think one leads to you know a lower pitch count, as we've seen, and one leads to a higher pitch count. It's pretty much that simple. But I, I think when you, I think first, you know, Maryland has to look towards next weekend, and I I hate to say this, but it makes a lot of sense. Rutgers is a must sweep series, not just a must win series. It's a must sweep series. You have a team that's six and twelve in the conference, twenty three and twenty five overall, and the Terps sitting right now technically with the edge in sixth place. They own the tiebreaker with Ohio State and Penn State, and interestingly enough, don't own the tiebreaker against Illinois and Iowa, the two teams that follow them currently. But 
the Terps need to give themselves some sort of cushion before they travel to East Lansing and have a tough series against the Spartans. I would agree with you on that. I think the one other thing I want to bring up right now is we've talked about pitching. The Maryland offense has not been good in Big Ten play. I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat it. I would argue against that, actually. They have a 231 average, Jake, in Big Ten play. Overall. Dead last. Overall, yes. The offense has been dreadful in Big Ten play, but I think there have been some bright spots. I think Madison Nickens has been fantastic in Big Ten play. His on-base percentage is up above 400. His batting average is up above 350 in conference play. And Anthony Papio has really kind of risen in terms of a hitter during the Big Ten conference play, as has Zach Jankarski. So you have three guys who have kind of come on now in the latter half of the season. But yes, you're right. From a standpoint of everybody else in the offense as a whole, it's been stale. But in terms of scoring runs... I mean, because that's the bottom line. The bottom line is scoring they're, runs. It's always scoring runs. They're not giving their guys enough run support. Maryland is second in the Big Ten in conference play alone in pitching. A two nine one team ERA. They are not scoring enough runs. And I think they're just lacking identity. I think at the beginning of the season, they saw this team as, all right, these guys can put up runs. And they were. And in non-conference play, they were. And they've had a lot of games where they've had big innings, but they scatter hits. You know, you talk about pitchers who have a knack for being able to scatter seven or eight hits. Maryland offensively seems to too often scatter seven or eight hits. And I think they really need to go back to the John Sheff small ball until well, they have, they everything have else bit. comes they along. They have a little they bit. Have. We saw this series. We saw some sacrifice bunts. There was an attempted squeeze that, that failed, and there was one bunt that was probably misguided. But I think you have seen the small ball coming back a little bit. And we realized at the beginning of the season that, if you remember our conversations, that this was a team that relied a little bit too much on the home run. And, you know, 35 on the season, one of the better marks in the Big Ten, but they haven't been coming as of late. So if you look at that and you take everything else into account, you know, we understand that, you know, this offense isn't producing the way that we expect them to. But we'll have uh, someone on this podcast to answer some of those questions. Rob Vaughn coming up, the Maryland hitting coach. So we'll talk to Coach Vaughn when we, when we return. And then after that, look ahead to a midweek battle with the West Virginia Mountaineers. That's on Tuesday before Maryland hosts Rutgers on their final homestand of the season. So stick with us here on the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Hi, Terps fans. This is play-by-play broadcaster Jake Eisenberg. Here at the Maryland Baseball Network, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best and most dedicated coverage of your Terps baseball team. But, in order to do so, we need your help. As we enter our second season, we're looking to raise money to continue to bring you the same high-quality broadcast and coverage for as many games as possible. Every dollar raised will go directly into Maryland Baseball Network funds and go toward equipment needs, website fees, and, most importantly, travel funds to allow us to bring you all of the Terps games home and away. To donate, head to GoFundMe.com slash MDBaseballNet. That's GoFundMe.com slash MDBaseballNet. No amount is too big or too small, and as always, we thank you for and appreciate your support. Ball Podcast, we're on episode 19 now. Alongside Jake Eisenberg, I'm at present, and we're joined now by Terps hitting coach, Rob Vaughn. Coach, how you doing? Good, man, good. Just, uh, just trying to get ready for West Virginia tomorrow. Obviously, the Terps traveling to Morgantown tomorrow, and... Uh, all season long, you've preached, hit the fastball, hit the fastball, hit the fastball. That's what we get every day when we talk to you. How would you assess this team offensively so far this season? You know, I, I think 
inconsistent may be the best word. Um, you know, I think we've got a lot of the pieces in place. And, you know, we have some guys that are still getting their feet wet in college baseball and, and still kind of working their way through some things. And then we have some guys that maybe haven't had quite as good a year as that we've that we would have expected or maybe that they would have even expected for themselves probably more importantly um but but there's been flashes you know like you know, we'll we'll look up and and we'll compete really really hard and you know and the, the one thing about this team is i don't think there's there's not a game that i looked up this year where i say that we just checked it in from the offensive side there's been times we haven't performed there's been times we haven't we haven't probably been as good as any of us would have liked um but but they compete their tails off and, and they work their butts off. So so you're exactly right. When, you know everything I think starts from the fastball and 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 being able to dominate that and you know team, teams get start start seeing stuff. You know you saw that with Sedlock the other night. Is you know we got after his fastball pretty good in the first two innings and we got a pretty heavy dose of two pretty darn good breaking pitches for the next six innings. So um, so that's something we just got to keep working through. You mentioned kind of the inconsistency, and that's something that we've been talking about as well. In fact, I guess you could say it's been consistently inconsistent, but just looking up and down the schedule there, you know, there's so many games that jump out at you that are, you know, more than five runs scored for the Terps, even more than 10 in some cases. Of course, the, you know, the 19 against James Madison a couple of weeks ago stands out. So I guess, you know, what is what has been the difference and what have you kind of seen over the last couple of weeks? Because Marty Costas has been hitting, had been hitting so well. Nick Dunn had been such a hot hitter at the beginning and, you know, Anthony Papio had been kind of on the, the wrong side of those kinds of things. But now things starting to shift and trend a little downward. And Kevin Biondic now leading the team in batting average, but he's the only one, at least from a regular starter standpoint, above 300. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And, you know, what you get with Casas and Dunn is you have two really young hitters, you know, two guys that have, have uh, that are extremely talented that are going to make a lot of money playing this game one day. Um, but are still still learning college baseball. You know, there's an adjustment period, and and to be honest with you, a, a big part of of playing at this level is kind of learning how to fail and learning how to deal with failure. And I mean, you're talking about two of the best guys in their respective states and guys that were unbelievably fortunate that are here. And you know, they, when you're in high school, those guys, there's not a lot of failure. You know, Nick Dunn didn't strike out his senior year of high school, and then you come here and you have some guys that have some pretty good stuff and. So now not only is it about the success can you have, but when failure gets thrown your way, how can you keep kind of grinding your way through it? And those two are, are really growing up in that. You know, they've been thrust in the fire. You, at the end of the day, usually when you look at freshmen that are in your everyday lineup, you'd, you'd probably think they were more 8-9 type pole guys, get them used to college baseball, this and that. Well, shoot, we've thrown those two right into the fire. Marty's leading the team in homers and hitting in our – four hole and the other Nick Dunn's been in our three hole from day one so you know it's there there's not kind of there were no training wheels put on I guess you know we just threw them in there and and said go get it done and, and they've been tremendous in in a lot of different ways um which is great you know I think Marty's been giving us very very consistent at bats too he's the guy who owns the strikes on as good as anybody on our team um and you look at a guy like Pat you know he had some hard luck early and and the guys just kept working, kept working. It's it's real easy, and and I've been there when when things aren't falling, things aren't going good. You you feel um, like you're just kind of searching for your swing a little bit, and it's real easy to start feeling bad for yourself. And that's one thing that Pat's never done, and and that's why when you when you look up now, he he's on the upswing. He's he's getting to a spot where his at bats getting tougher, and the dude when he's up with, with when the game's on the line, you can pretty much count on him running off a pretty good at bat for you, which has been 
which has been kind of the story story the last couple of weeks for him. I guess you could kind of say the same thing about Madison Nickens as well. You know, you could regard him almost as a freshman, this being his first year in Division One, and he's really come on strong as well. And then, you know, secondly, you know, going back to Costas, is there also a side of things where, you know, Big Ten pitchers and other pitchers around the league are starting to understand, okay, Costas, he's going to sit dead red, and if you leave it for him, you know, he's going to do some damage. Because I noticed this weekend he was getting a heavy dose of breaking stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's going to get. You know, I talk to I talk to Costas and Brown about that all the time, you know. For, for those two guys, if you're going to hit 3-4, you're here to drive runs in. You know, that's what we want you to do. That's what we expect. And, and you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to watch too many baseball games when there's runners at second, third, and Marty's at the plate. They're going to start spinning the baseball in him. So what Marty's been very, very good with through the year, and a lot of it goes back to his strike zone discipline. He sees the ball extremely well, like extremely well. And, and you know, there's been instances, and I think back to, especially to the California trip where – when balls were left up, even breaking balls left up, he's got the ability to drive that thing, you know. And I, I thought his at bats this weekend were really tough. I thought he gave us some big at bats when we needed to. And on a weekend where offensively it was a pretty, pretty tough weekend for us, you know, and he, he kind of came up with with some tough ones. And so, so that's the thing, you know, a guy like Marty, he's big, he's physical. They're going to look at his home run numbers. They're going to watch BP and. He's gonna he's gonna have to be able to take the breaking ball down, and then when that thing's spinning out over the plate, to to hammer the mistake, um, which he showed he's capable of doing. You know, and like you said with with Maddie, he is it's basically a first year guy. You know, he came from an elite elite junior college that we've actually got a guy coming in next year from that does things the right way and builds just tough dudes that that you're gonna win championships with. Um, but but there's still an adjustment, you know, and. And he's kind of hopped in seamlessly again. We kind of threw him to the fire, and he's been hitting at the top of our order from day one. And um, and he's he's competed through things. You know, he he's he had a tough weekend this weekend. Um, but when you look over the over the last eight to ten weeks, and really over the course of the year, and look at some of the bats he's given us, you know, he's been he's been a, a pretty valuable dude for us. Without an experienced guy like him, and and a guy that carries himself the way he does. Um, you know, who knows where we'd be on the offensive side. You mentioned that experience in this team, obviously a lot younger than the teams you've coached the past couple of years. Obviously, Kevin Smith, really the only guy, at least, who plays the field, who started all season long last year, who's back in there again this year. How has your job as a coach changed from a year ago to this year? Well, it, it's actually a lot of fun because last year, and this is the luxury of having an experienced team, but last year Kevin Martier coached the hitters and the position players probably more than I did. You know, and he, he just he had the personality, he had the he had the confidence, he had and, and he put up numbers, you know, so it's easy for that guy to kinda of get out front and to start pulling alongside pulling guys alongside and you know, as a coach that's what you want. You know, you hear that that cliche all the time that the best teams coach themselves and and it's true, you know. Kevin held people accountable. He did that, and you know, uh, and that's so. It's been kind of a fun thing, you know, to get back through the fall. I mean, it's it's easy to enjoy playing the games, and as players, as coaches, it's so easy when we get here in August to look forward to February 14th, February 18th, whatever the day ends up being, where you have your first game. But I tell you what, when you have a young team like this, what it's really the, the day-to-day grind is when it's a lot of fun, you know, because you're getting to see guys develop, you're getting to see guys that the, the light bulb starts clicking because no matter who it is, when they step in on day one, 
you face Mike Schwarm in your first at bat in college. That's not a fun thing for those guys, and there's usually not a ton of success. So it's really cool to see the guys that kind of get knocked down a little bit early um, and see the guys who kind of will step up in the midst of that and fight through it. And, and, and as they develop, you know, so the day-to-day is just as fun. And, and as a coach, this is kind of that's what we live for. You know, the recruiting is awesome, and the recruiting is something that we spend a lot of time and work really hard at. But but the reason Coach Mellinger, Coach Chef, me, is there a guy who sticks out to you as being a guy who has really come a long way in his development? I mean, for me, for me, the guy I, I think hands down our staff would probably say from the offensive side is Marty. Um, you know, like we knew when we saw him. In high, I mean, again, I would see him last spring just to check in on him. And the guy hit two balls that probably still haven't landed. You know, like the raw, the raw ability was there. Um, you know, when he was in high school, he played shortstop. He played third base. And, you know, we knew coming in we were going to kind of transition him out to the outfield and let him go to where it's kind of a little bit natural. And in the fall, you can ask the other players and coaches, it wasn't the prettiest side out in the outfield. Now you watch him roaming around out there, and it's he's making plays easy. I mean, he's there's no fear in his game. Like, he plays – kind of with a reckless abandon in a good way in the outfield, you know, as far as he'll lay out for things. He goes hard. If he makes a mistake, he's going to do it at 100%. Even if he uh, does but, lose his hat half the time. And well, Yeah, which usually happens. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think as a staff, when we looked at him, it was like, you know what, Marty's going to be a big-time dude for us. Is it going to be something right away? You know, maybe it takes him a little bit through this year. Maybe it takes him, you know, into a sophomore year before he really takes that step. And Shoot, I don't think it was about 10 games into the season he got his opportunity and hasn't been out of the lineup since then. I want to ask you about two guys, one of whom has also improved tremendously, but another maybe has taken a step back. First off, Kevin Biondic, you know, we kind of knew that the offense was there with him towards the end of last season, but this year, you know, he's kind of realized his potential at the plate. And then on the other side of things, Nick Sieri, you know, he was kind of regarded coming into the season as that power bat that was going to be in the middle of the lineup, but that average has really fallen and only two home runs on the season. So what have you seen out of the two of them that's both surprised you and encouraged or discouraged you? Well, for one, I think Bionic, when we recruited him, you know, we got a call from a guy that played for Coach Jeff, John McCarthy. Um, he played for Coach Jeff at Louisiana Lafayette, and he coaches Brother Rice High School up in uh, up in Illinois where, where Bionic played. And he basically said, you know what, this guy's not getting a ton of looks, but he's he's our best hitter. He's tough as nails. Um, you know, if you need a guy, I'm telling you, he's got a chance. Um, so I flew out and saw him, and, and he played fine, good defense. And so we kind of kind of went, went with it right there. He came up on a visit, and everything went well. And, you know, he, he was right in the middle of it last year and, and, and struggled a little bit offensively. He didn't have a just a knockdown, dragout fall either. You know, he kind of had ups and downs this fall, but – but the the one good thing about Kevin is that is one of the toughest kids I've ever coached, and he's probably harder on himself than any dude I've ever been around as well. Um, but he works his tail off, and if I'm in a bar fight, I want Kevin Bionic on my side, <laughs> and that's a huge, huge thing in college baseball. You know, toughness wins out. It's not always the prettiest, the sexiest, the all the bells and whistles. It's about tough guys that are willing to compete and are going to drop their gloves and compete with the pitcher, and that's what he does. You know, the dude played hockey in, in college and he kind of, or in high school, and he kind of takes that mentality over to where to where he's at now. So, you know, is it a shock that he's having success? Not even a little bit because the what the work he puts in and the attitude he brings every day 
Um, and it's been really cool to see his his development as far as his mentality goes. He's kind of he's kind of steering the ship a little bit. You know, you hear him out at practice, you hear him hear him. You know, in the in the locker room, and he's got a he's got a pretty pretty firm hold on what's going on, which is which is pretty awesome to see. Um, you know, and Nicky Nick, I tell him all the time. You know, he's probably the best two thirty hitter in the entire country. Every game, he was hitting two balls on the screws, and it was either right at somebody or this and that. You know, we go hit and run to try to get him out of a thing um, this weekend a little bit and get him feeling comfortable. And he hits an absolute tracer right at the third baseman. You know, um, so so if you look at his numbers, you'd probably say, you know, what he's not having the year that he would want. And I would agree. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that you know, that, that he's just tearing it up in that regard. But he's working every day. He brings a good attitude to what he's doing. He's drastically improved behind the plate. His arm's getting back to where to where he needs it to get to. Um and, and he's been he's been great, you know, so so I know his his numbers don't jump out, but I'm telling you that guy over these next ten or twelve games, whatever we've got left in kind of the you know, the season and through the tourney, um is going to be right in the middle of stuff because at the end of the day, that guy's got hits on really big stages. He's he's a huge part of winning a Super Regional at UCLA. He's a huge part of what we've done the last two years, and he's going to continue to be right in the middle of that. So, Coach, as much as we like to ask the serious questions here on the podcast, we also like to have some fun, and I know one of my favorite things to do is just hang around you during batting practice. <laughs> Where does all that come from? Oh, there's there's no telling. I... I, uh, I, the, the main reason I'm in coaching is a guy named Andy Sawyers and he, uh, he's a head or he's the, uh, associate head coach at Kansas state now. And he coached me my senior year of college. And, and I tell you what, it's, baseball is a hard game. It's something you get banged up with. Hitting is the hardest thing to do in any sport period. Like no matter what people say, it's the hardest thing in any sport to do. And, and I think when guys are getting banged up, when guys aren't feeling good, the, the biggest thing for me in pregame BP is to get guys feeling good, to get guys having some energy. Because I tell you, half the time I'll call my wife after BP and tell her how awesome our BP is and how good we're going to be. And then we go get shut out for nine innings. And then we'll take the ugliest BP on the planet and go score 15 runs. So really for me, it's, you know, it's a lot of, it's, it's just about having fun. I love, I love my guys, man. And I think that's one thing that, that I hope is evident to them. I hope they all understand as well because they're, uh, you know, they're they're like kids to me. As weird as that is, you know, I'm I'm so invested in in them, and I just I like being around them. You know, I have fun with them, and and uh, and you know, hopefully they get a kick out of it a little bit too. And it, it's amazing when you get guys kind of with energy, and you hear Bionic screaming and yelling, and you hear Jan Karski going nuts out there, and the energy in BP is awesome. You know, and and watching. Pat Heisel diving in the hole and throwing lasers across the infield. To be honest, slamming, you know, they're diving in the gap. Jim Carsey slamming into walls and BP Papio going full extension. Like, I think intensity is a huge part of this game, and and you're not going to play that man hum glum around the cage. This isn't this isn't big league baseball. You know, we don't have big leaguers. We have 18 to 22 year old kids that they need to have some fun and, and learn how to compete and get after. And I think it's just a fun way to start it. I will say that diving catch that Biondic made playing shortstop into foul territory up at Penn State might be the best catch of the season, even though it happened in BP. No doubt. No doubt. We tell them all the time, you know, I think I think intensity, if it's done right, is worth three runs before the game even starts. You know, I think that's the reason we go full out, because these guys are young. They're still learning to play the game, and, 
And, you know, it's it's one of those things to where I don't believe you can flip a switch on and off. So what you see in Kevin Bionic is when that dude ties his cleats up and steps on the baseball field, it's going to be a reckless five hours until he goes and takes them off. And that's why he is who he is, and that's why he's having the success he's having. Just to give a Pete, some people the an idea of what – happens during batting practice with you you know you seem to have a nickname for every single person on the team and a lot of them end in you know why like Nikki or I guess Marty kind of works itself out but it's not only that but it's also like these weird sayings that you have like ground balls are where good hitters go to die and things of that nature and I, I just can't help it but crack up standing behind the cage and it's all without a moment's hesitation the second the ball is in play there's something coming out of your mouth yeah, I I probably get that from my mom a little bit. My mom's everybody she's ever met has had a nickname, and so she uh, she's that's just who she is, and that's how she does it. And so I guess I got that from her. But you know, so you're right. All the guys got a nickname. Some more literal than others. Some kind of out there a little bit. But yeah, I don't know. I I've had a lot of entertaining coaches in my day, from Andy Sawyer's to the guy that recruited me out of high school, Sean McCain, who was just a stud and a clown and all of that and I don't know I yeah I don't know where it comes from sometimes and sometimes coach Chef probably wishes I just keep my mouth shut back there and try to <laughs> make guys hit the ball better but but yeah we have some fun well I want to ask you about your relationship with coach Chef just a little bit because you two met when he was at Kansas State and, and you were at Kansas State as well he was the head he was the associate head coach there and he was your coach and now you guys are on the same staff together so what's it been like growing with him in college park these four years after playing for him well what's actually pretty funny man is when i went to uh out of high school so i the first time i ever talked to coach jeff was in about 2003 when he was in louisiana lafayette and he was recruiting me um he recruited me to go to louisiana lafayette and sean mccain was recruiting me to go to kansas state and uh you know, I had a visit scheduled for Lafayette and all of this kind of stuff, and I was going to go check it out after K-State. And I ended up calling Coach Chef to tell him, you know what, I'm going to commit to um, commit to Kansas State. It's just the right fit for me, this and that. And it, it ended up working out pretty well for me because he, he had a young guy named Jonathan Lucroy that was there that I probably wouldn't have caught too much in front of. I think we've um, heard of him. Yeah, he's, he's okay. He's okay. Um, <laughs> Especially these so, last couple of weeks. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I've known Coach Jeff for a long time, you know, and, and we kind of lost touch there for a few years. And my first year back into coaching um, is when he kind of got thrust over. And it's a kind of a weird situation. You know, he was he was at University of Kansas. He was a chicken hawk over there and one of one of our arch nemesis. But, uh, you know, our, 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 or our assistant coach, Andy Sawyers, left to go to Texas A&M mid-season uh, or mid-year. And so – Coach Chef came over in January, and you know him and I had a, a relationship before that, based through the recruiting process and this and that. And you know he walked into a tough situation, and you know it's it's one thing to to coach these guys, but when you're trying to learn their names and all this kind of stuff while trying to coach these guys within two weeks in a game, it, it's even more difficult. So him and I got close really quick there, you know, and and um, you know he coached the hitters. I just kind of was his lackey. Whatever he needed, I was there to help him and. And, uh, you know, we spent a lot of, a lot of time together there. And I was actually, the funny story, I was probably about a day from taking a hitting coach job at Pratt Junior College in Pratt, Kansas, uh, when he came up to interview for this job. And he told me, he said, give me a day or two, let me see what happens. Um, so he ended up getting a job, and, and he asked me, uh, you know, he called me. He's like, you know, you want to fly up and check this thing out? You know, I want you to come with me. 
Um, so I was like, nope, don't need to fly. I'll load my truck up and I'll be there. So I got in the truck the next day and drove out here. And, and more than anything, I think the thing that the thing that people may not understand about him because of the crew cut and the, the exterior that he gives off is, is he's one of the best men that I've ever known, you know, and he's, you take the baseball out of it, you take all that aside, the guy's an absolute stud of a, of a human being. You know, he's a great father. You see him out there with his kids. It's such an example to, to us young guys, you know, Coach Mellinger who just had, had his son and, and, you know, I have one on the way in July and it's just what an example he sets as, as far as that goes, just baseball aside. And, you know, he's an incredible person. He's a tireless worker. Um, and, and he's, I, I, I will work in this profession for the rest of my life and never have a boss like him. I can tell you that because he's, he is, he's unbelievable. And, and we've got a, we've got a great relationship. Well, that's, that's such great news to hear both on your own personal front, as well as the high praise for coach chef. And another kind of lighter question I want to ask you about is, you know, you talk about the image that coach chef gives off with his crew cut and you obviously have a very distinct image with your beard, but that's not what's showcased on the Maryland website. It's a much different look. So when did you make the conversion on that front? <laughs> uh, well, the, yeah, it's uh, my my wife was really a fan of of less facial hair, and so married guys understand pretty quickly. You do what your wife what your wife wants you to do to keep her happy. So so I. I always kept it short. Then I would convince her every year it was time for my winter coat to come out in November. Like I had, uh, it gets cold, wolves <laughs> need their winter coats on. So I'd get my, I'd grow it out and let it go a little bit. And, and, uh, and so, you know, and, and, uh, and I don't know if she actually finally told me the other day that it was when I saw a picture the other day without a beard and it looks really weird. So you should probably keep it. I was like, all right, sounds good. So yeah, that's, uh, that's how it kind of came to be. Have you ever gotten any major league comparisons? Because just from my perspective, you you bear a, a stark resemblance to Adam LaRoche. Yeah, that's that's the one I hear a lot, especially when the beard gets a little longer. I, I I've heard that one quite a bit because it's kind of the same uh, same style, I guess. But but yeah, it's that's a pretty good dude to be modeled after. If I had half the ability he had, we'd be having a lot of fun. Well, it's got like the same tint, and it kind of has a little bit of a pointy end a little bit. You guys have a similar face shape. I don't know. This is just this is just from my perspective. So take, yeah, take that no. as you will. I've heard that before. I've heard that quite a bit before. I guess another question I have for you is, you know, these players have their roommates on the road, the things they like to do hanging out in their rooms. What do you and Coach Bellinger do on the road when you guys are rooming together? Holy cow, me and Coach Bellinger on the road. Um, we... Uh, we I'm trying to think here. What is uh what is podcast appropriate to talk about what we do on the road? I mean um, you could talk about the cowboy boots in Minnesota. That always cracks me up. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that I, was I, there, that was right kind of that was like right after I actually met you for the first time and it was the most bizarre thing because at that point I didn't know you were from Texas and now it makes perfect sense, but when I saw you oh, walk yeah. out of the Mall of America with a brand new pair of cowboy boots on, <laughs> I thought you were nuts. Oh yeah. No, I like my cowboy boots. I definitely do. Um, me and Coach Billinger on the road is probably the most boring thing ever as far as insight goes because we're usually either watching whoever we're playing on Big Ten Network or whatever trying to get some inside info on, you know, video and all that kind of stuff, or we'll have both of our computers up, TV on with any baseball we can find. So 
there's a lot of ACC, SEC games on ESPN3. We'll, we'll be clicking back and forth. He'll be on his phone. I'll be on my computer. We'll, we'll, get, we'll have a whole little setup going in there. Um, but, yeah, we uh, we went to the mall, and we've, we've roomed every since the beginning, you know, every trip. So it's uh, – it's it's funny, man. We we get we got really close really quick. We actually lived in the same apartment complex, um, meeting you know from from day one up here pretty much until we both just kind of moved into into houses here pretty recently. Um, but yeah, it's uh, he he was with me alongside. Anytime it's it's hard when you're out here because there's not enough boot places, you know, and I can't find any of them. So when I found Boot Barn at Mall of America. I was pretty jacked up and went and got me a pair of boots there, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> well, we, with with Coach Bellinger having his new child, Sutton, and yours, you know, on the way, can we expect them to kind of grow up together and maybe two future Terps in the making? Oh, that's right, absolutely. I was joking around. We went to dinner last night um, and we were hanging out, and that's what I told him. I said, you know, because our, our little one, it's a boy too, and it's gonna be it's gonna be Wyatt. And we were, I said, I said, you know, Wyatt's gonna have to beat Sutton up a little bit. He's going to slap him around a little bit. And he's like, no, no, that ain't happening. Said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, well, Coach Ballinger told me that, you know, he's kind of hoping that Sutton turns out to be a southpaw. So I guess for you, you know, when it comes to Wyatt, is is he going to, you know, be like his daddy and be a catcher? If he tries to, yeah, I, he can do whatever he wants except pitch. Those guys are too weird. I can't handle the <laughs> family. So if he wants to catch, he wants to play shortstop, all he's going to do is hit left-handed. He can – he can now want him to, he's gonna throw right, but he's gonna have a bat in his left hand from day one. And what a story that would be. You know, a Bellinger oh, yeah. a Bellinger Vaughn battery, you know, seventeen, eighteen years from now. Oh yeah, that'd be tremendous. That'd be something else. Oh yeah. What is it like though? Cause you're when you guys are watching film and he's watching from the perspective of a pitcher and you're watching from the perspective of a hitter, what's the give and take there? Well, it's really funny because when we when we start watching video and stuff, like he'll ask me, "Well, what, what did you think of that hitter? What do you think of that?" I was like, "Dude, I didn't even watch it. I skip straight ahead. I just go watch our watch the arms, and I skip over when they hit, and I go watch the next arm." And um, so usually we're watching opposite sides of the game. Um, but but what's great about having a guy like Jimmy and having having somebody that's got the feel and the knowledge he has is is you know sometimes for me as a hitting coach, you'll get so locked into you know what you're looking at that sometimes it's good to have a set of eyes that's not myself and coach Haynes and coach Jeff who are kind of sitting right there watching or swope or where he sees stuff but it's kind of a taking a step back and you know sometimes a simple answer is easiest sometimes and we get so bogged down in details and so caught up with stuff that Jimmy will just sit back and say you know here's how I'd get him out I don't know if this helps you but this is what I would do and sometimes that's what you need you know and vice versa you know, being a catcher, I, I called my own game through college, and I called my own game in pro ball, and it's something, you know, that I that was probably my biggest asset as a player, and and we'll bounce back and stuff back and forth off each other. You know, the one thing about having a relationship like Jimmy and I have is we're not really scared to tell each other what we think. So, you know, it might hack me off for five minutes, and then I'll be just fine. But but we'll give each other feedback and, and kind of hopefully in indirect ways at some point. All right, Coach, before we let you go, one more question for you that we've been asking all of our people that we have on the podcast the last several weeks since the Major League Baseball season got underway. I want a World Series prediction from you. Oh, World Series prediction. Holy cow. I I don't think I've watched one full game since we've been there. Um, I grew up a Houston Astros fan, being from Houston, um, but painfully they can't 
even sniff a hit when a runner gets in scoring position. So they're probably out. Um, huh. Let me think here. Well, I took I took my hometown Mets because, well, I really had to, and it's not a bad pick in any case. And Matt took the Giants probably just because it's an even year. They also yeah. have a stud pitching staff. Well, that's the thing with the Mets. The, the, the staff that they run out there, every dude on that staff throws 110 miles an hour. Um, so that's always a safe pick. I just could never pick them because that's Bellinger's team, and I can't, <laughs> I can't hop on that. Oh, I didn't know um, that. I'll have to, I'll have to talk to, talk to him. About oh yeah, that. it's like a, a love affair with the Mets. It's kind of disgusting. <laughs> um, I might have to. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go. Uh, and Coach Haynes will really, really like this, and so will Swoper here. But I'm gonna go ahead and go suit. No, I can't do that. They're not gonna like that because that's a lie. I think they're gonna lose. Never mind. I was going to go the O's, and I know that I should say that, but I don't think they can pitch enough, and J.J. Hardy's going to be out for a while. Uh, let's go Nats, just because I like watching Bryce Harper take BP and everything about the way he plays the game. So that's where we're going to go. We're going to go the Nats. I bet you like his, be I bet you like his beard, too. Oh, it's saucy beard. Very saucy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, after much deliberation, you heard the pick. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. All right, when we come back on the Maryland Baseball Podcast, we'll look ahead to West Virginia. Stick with us. The Maryland Baseball Network isn't just a broadcast network. It's a comprehensive online platform dedicated to bringing you everything Terrapins baseball. Be sure to check out our website by going to www.marylandbaseballnetwork.com where you can find game recaps, podcasts, news, video, and much more. That's MarylandBaseballNetwork.com, your home for all things Terps. Welcome back to the Maryland Baseball Podcast. And before we look ahead, we must acknowledge some people who have won some awards tonight. And Jake will take us through it. It was Terp Awards night. And first and foremost, Jake, the hardest working man got a much-deserved award. That's right. A special shout-out to Phil on these, Phil DePace, the manager of the year for Maryland Athletics, officially the winner of the Jack Heiss Manager of the Year Award. Well-deserved, Phil, for all of this stuff that he does behind the scenes. Incredible commitment from, from Phil Hill. You know, he's just tremendous on and off the field with the Maryland baseball program, and the work that he does largely goes unnoticed. It's not stuff you see you know, during the games, but certainly before and after. Everything that he does, you know, makes this Maryland baseball program special. So a big shout-out to Phil on his extraordinary win tonight. And, of course, you know, we should mention some other Terps as well on the baseball program that brought home some hardware. We'll start with Rob Galligan, who brought home the Talbot T. Spear Award. Second year in a row, the Terps baseball team has brought this one home. It's given to the male student-athlete whose extraordinary commitment and dedication serves as an inspiration to teammates, coaches, and fellow student-athletes. Last year, it was Mike Shawarin, this year Rob Galligan, but Shawarin took an award home of his own kind, named the Maryland Player of the Year on the male side. So congratulations to Mike Shawarin, the Male Athlete of the Year, in the Maryland Athletics. And finally, Anthony Papio with the James H. Kehoe Award. And that goes to the student-athlete who most exemplifies the ideals of sportsmanship. So all three of those Terp athletes, very deserving of their awards. And, of course, the huge and special shout-out to Phil on these, Phil DePace on his Manager of the Year Award victory. Nobody deserves it more than Phil. Nobody deserves it more than Phil. The man puts in so many tireless hours, it's unbelievable. Phil and I 
live in the same building and he'll come home at like 9 p.m. and be like, yeah, I just got back from practice. I'm like, dude, practice ended like four hours ago. I mean, it's it's unbelievable the time and effort he puts And he's puts always in. smiling. Absolutely. He'll always come up to you with a smile on his face. He's always got something happy to say. And, you know, he's from he's from kind of, you know, the the country area of Maryland. So he's always got some kind of saying or, you know, country song, you know, going on in his head too. I know he's a big Kenny Chesney fan. And he'll just tell you Kenny because they're on a first-name basis. But Phil DePace, we've had him on this podcast before, and we always love when he comes on the show. But a huge congratulations Big smiles all around the Maryland Baseball Network when we heard the news. Absolutely. Now a look ahead to West Virginia and a team that is pretty hot. They've won eight of their last nine, Jake. They're coming off a sweep of Texas, and they're sitting at fourth in the Big 12. Not an easy opponent, a long drive out to Morgantown for the Terps tomorrow. Well, this is an interesting game for Maryland. They're facing a Big 12 team that's in you know the upper portion of their conference. It's a win that would certainly help the Terps in terms of their you know resume if you're looking at a potential at-large bid. And you know a loss, I think, at this stage in the non-conference isn't going to help her. It's 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 going to hurt, but it's also not going to hurt that much. I think the onus is really more on the conference games as you know the season approaches Omaha in the Big Ten tournament. Absolutely, but at the same time, it's certainly a game that the Terps would like to have. Build some momentum, hopefully string together some wins with Rutgers coming to town next weekend. It's not going to be easy. West Virginia, a very good hitting team. Uh, they have an average up over 280 on the season, and they're led by a freshman, uh, a very impressive freshman at that. Darius Hill, a 345 average and he's second in the conference in doubles. They also have a guy, Jackson Kramer, who's won uh, the Big 12 Player of the Week award three times this season. Well, not to mention the, the Mountaineers are a hot team. They've won eight of their last nine, including you know starting with a Sunday win against Oklahoma to salvage a series loss. They took two out of three from Baylor the next weekend, and they, they've run off five straight, sweeping Texas in the process. So it's a team getting hot at the right time in the Big 12. It'll be a tough opponent for the Terps. There is... Rain in the forecast, so should the weather hold, it'll be a game where the Terps can perhaps you know use it to get some momentum headed into the weekend. And they will likely start Braden Zembrinski, a two-way player. It's interesting because college rules are slightly different than professional baseball. After he pitches, he then slots into the DH spot in their lineup. So an interesting style of play that they go with in these midweek starts. Of course, we expect Hunter Parsons to go for Maryland. He's pitched very well of late. Well, he's been stellar in his in his midweek starts. Three starts on the season, one of them coming Sunday against Purdue in what you can consider to be a spot start. His ERA in those starts is under two and a half. He's been tossing, you know, six, seven innings each time out. And he's really come on seemingly a lot more comfortable starting than he is out of the bullpen. And he's a guy, no doubt in my mind, will be featured in the weekend rotation come next season. We've said that, Jake, that he's certainly more comfortable starting, but in his last couple of relief outings, he's looked really good as well. He pitched a scoreless inning up at Penn State, came in in relief of Mike Schwarren this weekend and pitched well. So I think he's just starting to put it all together, but certainly will figure into the weekend rotation a year from now. Well, I think you, you have to consider you know, what Rob Vaughn said about the hitters and the freshman hitters adjusting. It's the same for the freshman pitchers, and I think Hunter Parsons has gotten you know more opportunities than most of the other freshmen to show his stuff and get a little bit more comfortable. And of course, there's a reason that he was drafted out of high school by the Cleveland Indians. You know, certainly no slouch on the mound. And you know, now after struggling in relief to start the season, he's you know really started to come along as 
a, a solid right-hander, a fastball in the you know low 90s, good breaking stuff as well. And you know, as I said, he's gonna he's gonna factor in the in the Terps' future, no doubt about it. Well, I think from here on out, they're all must-wins. Tomorrow night, 6:30 p.m. in Morgantown, I'll be on the pregame show starting at 6:15, and then this weekend against Rutgers, who is just six and 12 in conference, 23 and 25 on the season. As you said earlier, a must-sweep series, and with Senior Day on Sunday. Well, there's no doubt about it. Six and twelve in the conference, twenty-three and twenty-five overall. We said it earlier in this podcast that the Terps need to give themselves a cushion before they head to a tough series against Michigan State to finish off the season. After dropping two out of three to Illinois, a team that's on the outside looking in, in the tournament picture, the Terps need to move up in the standings just a little bit. Currently owning sixth, but by a hair, just by head-to-head tiebreakers over Penn State and Ohio State, and you know Michigan State right above that. Fifth in the conference currently at 11 and seven, or at least you know tied there with Nebraska. But Rutgers, a team that's been struggling, and they were lambasted by Michigan this past weekend. The Wolverines put up double-digit runs in every game, outscoring them 14 to one in game one, 13 to one in game two, and then 12 to five in game three. So this is a team that the Terps really need to take advantage of. Well, it's going to be an uphill battle, but right now the Terps are inside the bubble for the Big Ten tournament and they're going to be taking it one game at a time in the first one. Up next, it's West Virginia tomorrow. So until then, this has been the 19th episode of the Maryland Baseball Podcast. For Jake Eisenberg, I'm Matt Present. Thanks for listening to the Maryland Baseball Network.